Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Uh, We're going to throw up on the screen right now a photo of my favorite coffee mug. This is my favorite coffee mug because it was made by my mama. And some people laugh when I call her mama, but that's because they ain't got no culture at all. Uh, Amen. That's right. If you came from God's land down south, you know that no matter how old you are, it's mama and daddy. Um, But my mama makes amazing pottery. This is just one of a number of mugs I've got that she made. And I love her pottery. It is beautiful. Uh, I love going to pottery stores with her. Several times I've given her a gift of one of her favorite things, which is you can go into a store and I will just sit with you and you can shop as long as you want, which can be quite a long time with my mama. And she loves when she comes up here to Annapolis to go into some of the pottery stores. And she amazes me because we've been in stores and she can look at a pot and say, this was glazed by this potter in North Carolina. And then one of the store people hears her drop the name and walks up and says, that's right. How did you know that? And mama says, because I've got books of their glaze, and I know this. We were in Pennsylvania one time, and she said, this pot was made by the master potter at Marshall, Texas, because he does this particular thing. It's amazing knowledge she's got in doing that. And she displays great wisdom in doing that. But one time she did not display wisdom, which was she tried to teach me how to do pottery. (laughs) And for those of you who know me, you'll be shocked at this, but I did not have the patience it took. I tried to make something that looked remotely like that, and within a couple of moments, threw the clay down and said, this is stupid, (laughs) and I was done. I I was finished trying to make pottery because I didn't have the patience that it took. Now, I bring this up because, you know, one thing that the Lord says is that he's a potter and we're the clay, but there's another thing which is involved for you and I, and that, that is you and I are called to form to shape our own soul. It took practice and it took work. I I drank when I was in Georgia last time out of some of my mama's early mugs and they weren't quite as good as this because she was learning how to do it. It's a lifelong practice. Well, you and I, whether we have the ability to do pottery or not, whether we have the patience to do pottery or not, it's important that we have patience in forming our own soul. Because how we form our soul is going to determine how we walk through this life. And one of the most important ways in forming our soul is forming it for gratitude. I'm going to keep coming back to this this morning. I'm not just saying that we give thanks once in a while. I'm saying we are called to form a grateful soul. A soul whose trademark move is gratitude. A soul whose Just normal response is one of gratitude and thanksgiving. So how do we do that? Let me begin by giving a little bit of a theology of gratitude, looking at this. Now notice in our text, Paul tells us that God's will, there, you know, one of the things years ago I had taught on this verse and I was looking back at the notes, there are so many books, so many articles, if you Google how do I know the will of God, you get an incredible number of responses that come back. People want to know the will of God, but we act like it's this hard thing to find, but, but it's not. Paul tells us right here, if you want to know God's will, this is God's will. And notice there are these staccato quick commands. In the Greek, this is all one sentence. And he says, what you're going to do is you are called to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. So God says, this is the kind of life I want you to be building. One that is full of joy, one that is overflowing in prayer, and a life of gratitude that is expressed in our prayer and joy. The reason we are praying and joyful is because we have formed a soul of gratitude. Now, 
let me, let me dive in and, and, and unpack just this last bit a little bit more, this giving thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice here that as we think of a theology of gratitude, number one, it is God's will that we should be grateful. Okay, it's God's will that we should be grateful. And we know this two separate ways in this verse. Number one, we are commanded to give thanks. You can see this a little bit, you know, give thanks. That's a command or an imperative verb. In the Greek, it's in the imperative mood. It is God saying, this is my command to you. You are to give thanks. Secondly, notice the command is, when do we give thanks? In all circumstances, okay? Not give thanks when you're happy with the way things are rolling out for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it doesn't say for all circumstances. There are things that are tough in life. But even in the midst of difficult things, God calls us to give thanks because we always have much to be grateful for. And then notice, it's not only that it was an imperative verb, give thanks, but Paul ends by saying, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will, every human being should be forming a grateful soul. Every human being has much to be grateful. But specifically, Paul says, if you are in Christ, you have every reason to be grateful. Now, the flip side of this is what happens if we're not grateful. Ingratitude is a foundational sin. I'm not going to take a lot of time to expand on this, but in, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is beginning to explain the gospel. And he begins more or less with the law, and he's showing us our sin. And in Romans 1.21, he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to that, him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what's interesting is in the previous two verses, Paul has said, look, everybody knows there's a God. God has made it plain to everyone. So even a person who says, well, I don't know that there's a God, deep in their soul, they do know that there's a God. We can hide it. We can come up with every reason why we think so. But God has said it's impossible not to know that God is there based on creation, actually based on the way we're formed, based on our conscience. It is inherent to every human being. But despite the fact we know that, Paul comes in here and says, we don't give him glory for who he is, nor do we give him thanks for all that he has done. And notice what happens, that's not an inert thing. When I don't give God glory and express thanks to him, what happens is my thinking becomes futile, it becomes empty, and my heart becomes dark. And then what Paul goes on to describe, we won't take the time to look at it, but if you look starting in the very next verse, Paul starts listing, and he keeps using this phrase, phrase that God gave them over. And there's a downward spiral of ever worsening slavery to sin that happens. But interestingly, it all begins back with we refuse to give him thanks. That's where it starts. And so when we do not take time to regularly acknowledge God and to give thanks to him, our thoughts and desires turn from him and we are led into ever deeper slavery to sin. So this is a very serious matter. We, we you know, this time of year try to think about Thanksgiving, th though the stores have already skipped past Thanksgiving, right? Because you can't sell gratitude. It's impossible to sell, so they try to skip by it. So, so we're trying to think about this week, but understand this, every day, the devil wants to turn you and I away from gratitude because it is like getting on a fast-track spiral downward into other sins. It's very much a root sin. So this means that this is important. So how do we form a grateful soul? If those are the stakes, 
How do I make it so that I'm not just occasionally giving thanks, but I'm actually forming a soul that is grateful? I'm taking time like Mama did, you know, and making that mug and forming it together and, you know, firing it and glazing it and doing all of those steps. How do we do that with our own soul? Well, I think the first thing in doing that, if we're going to give thanks in all circumstances, is to take time to notice God's hand of blessing all around us. In Psalm 103, verse 2, I had thought about even using this as the text. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So there's a command there that we're supposed to praise and glorify God, but linked to that is that we uh, remember all the benefits that God has done for us. And then the psalm goes on, says, you know, he forgives your sins, he heals your diseases, he takes care of you, and he starts to list a whole number of those ways. But notice the phrase there is forget not all of his benefits. It's to pay attention and to remember. And the command to remember is very common in the Old Testament. I remember when I was trying to learn Hebrew, the Hebrew word zakar that is behind this is a very common word in the Old Testament. We learned it because it happened so often. Uh, in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a word that you need to remember because God is uh, constantly telling his people, you have to consciously remember my blessings and my commands. You've got to keep them before you. That's what's going to form you. And as you think even as we move into the New Testament, we come to the Lord's table every week because remembering is central to our worship. We come in and we remember every week the gospel. We remember that it is by broken body and shed blood that you and I are able to come in and worship. And what a great privilege this is. Think about it. In the Old Testament, you had to get in travel for days walking or on the back of a burrow or something, you know, to get down to Jerusalem and go through all of these things and go through purification. And then you really can't even get in very close. You just go to the priest who's going to get in. What do you and I have to do to come into God's presence? Yeah, wake up. Just that, that's it. It's always here. It's always available. That, that you and I can remember. We have no right to this table. Not one person in here has a right to this table. But we remember every week this gift of God's grace. But it's not only in our worship. We are called to take time to notice and remember because this is the first step in shaping a grateful soul. And we're to do it not just here, but in everyday life. Here's a poem um, or, or part of a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Listen to this, I love this phrase. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Now notice the imagery she's using. What bush was a fire with God? The bush with Moses. And when Moses saw it, what did he do? He took his shoes off and he said, oh, this is holy ground. Well, see, what she's telling us is, where is God's presence around us? Everywhere. Every bush, it's there. But what are we doing most of the time? <laughs> We're plucking blackberries. It's as if Moses in that moment, rather than taking his shoes off, just went about his business. And she's saying, are you, are you paying attention? God is evident everywhere. He is active everywhere. Earth is crammed with heaven. And if we open our eyes, if we slow down, if we pay attention, every moment has the opportunity for taking my shoes off and worshiping God. Every moment has the opportunity for me to stop and breathe thanks to God. Not once in a lifetime, not just when we come to the Lord's table, but moment by moment by moment. This table is meant to fill and, if you will, sanctify every meal we take. Our gathering in worship is meant to fuel us back out into the world to say, earth is crammed with heaven. Every bush is a fire with God if your eyes are open. 
Now, what I want to do for a few minutes is I'm going to take and give a brief list of how earth is crammed with heaven. A few things that the scripture tells us, and none of these are, I'm not mainly talking about big, huge things. I'm talking about things we just often take for granted. So what are these? I'm going to begin with the scripture in Acts chapter 17, when the apostle Paul was talking in Athens. And so he was talking to people who had not been raised in Judaism. They didn't understand. In fact, he said, what I'm going to use is you've got an altar to an unknown God. I'll work with it. So I'm going to describe to you this unknown God, who he is. And in Acts 17, 25, he says, look, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because see, what they did is they made altars and they made temples to all these gods because they had to serve the gods. But Paul says, no, you've got it backwards. You're not serving God. God has served you. And how has he done that? He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. How much of our existence does that cover? Earth is crammed with heaven. Consider first off just life. Who in here exists by their own will? Who, who brought themselves into existence? I mean, no one. If you and I cease to exist, will that stop the universe? Will, will God's glory be diminished? You are here out of pure superfluousness that God loves and desires to make you. In, in Revelation chapter 4, it says it's, it's his pleasure. By his pleasure, all things exist. And that includes you and I. Now, the amazing thing is, I'm going to come back to creation in a minute, but uh, this week, uh, the, the astronaut, um, an astronaut died, and he was the one who took the famous photo you've probably seen when they were circling the moon before we had landed on the moon. And he looked up, and the earth was rising in space. And he took this famous photo that's called Earthrise. First time somebody had seen that. But what's amazing is earth stands out. Everywhere else you look in space, there's this darkness. And we're searching. And we get excited when we're like, there's the possibility that in this faraway planet, we think there might be the possibility that at one time there was water. And then you look at our planet, which is fine-tuned for life. And there are almost an infinite number of species of life that exist. We are still discovering things we never even knew were there that have been, bring, been bringing pleasure to God for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And all of this, I mean, it's almost as if God made this planet specifically for life. The odds that life would be here are astronomical, and yet here it is, and here we are. But it's not only that. Notice Paul says life and breath. This week I was reading, and there's a, there were a lot of quotes out of this book called Caesar's Last Breath by a guy named Sam Keen. But I was so struck because in that book, he's talking about what happens when we breathe. Listen to a few statistics. The average person, you and me, will take 21,600 breaths today. 21,600. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have thought about breathing today? But you're going to do it 21,600 times. When you lay down and you are dead to the world, you know what it's like this afternoon, you're taking a nap, your mouth is open, you're drooling, your spouse is looking at you and saying, that's disgusting, right? And what am I doing in that moment to make myself breathe? Nothing. 21,600 times a day. The average person in their life will take over 600 million breaths. And how much are we thinking about any of them? In each breath, you breathe in 12.5 sextillion molecules while you're sitting here right now. 12.5 sextillion. Now, that's a number, unless you're my friend Claire and you're a scientist, that number means nothing to us, right? It's like billions and billions, and soon we're talking about real money. 12.5 sextillion, what does that mean? 
That is more molecules than all the grains of sand on every seashore on the entire planet. And you've done that multiple times while I've been talking. All of those coming in. But not only that, as you breathe those in every moment, you have 25 trillion red blood cells that are coursing through your lungs and they're packed with hemoglobin and they're taking oxygen out. And if any of that doesn't work, what happens to you and me? And yet, when's the last time we thought about breathing? So Sam Keen in Caesar's Last Breath writes this, all the world's roads and all the world's canals and all the world's airports in the history of all humankind haven't handled nearly as much traffic as our lungs do every second. And we're not even thinking about it. It happens by the gift of God. He gives you breath. And the only time we think about it is if I can't breathe, right? Like if I go underwater <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. The rest of the time, it just goes on and we're not even thinking about it. Can you see why the psalmist, at the end of a book of praise and prayer, the psalmist concludes in Psalm 150, verse 6, and says, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, the psalmist is saying, look, you've got every reason to praise God. Just your breath that we so take for granted. How about creation itself? Psalm 19, verse 1, the psalmist writes this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I love that You know, the psalmist is saying they're preaching to us constantly. They are declaring. He uses these verbal things. And later on, he says, look, there's no words, but make no mistake, they are speaking the word of God out to us constantly. The cosmos is crammed with the glory of God, and it shouts it to everyone who listens. It's all aflame with the fire of God. But most of us are plucking blackberries most of the time. Um, Consider how huge the universe is. It is massive beyond our comprehension. I mean, you know, we just sent out another telescope. It's seeing further into the universe than we've ever seen before. And scientists now think the current theory is that the universe is actually expanding. It's actually growing. It's already so big we can't even begin to comprehend it. The Milky Way in which we, which we live is estimated to have 100 billion stars. The sun's one of them, a rather mediocre one at that. Okay, a hundred billion of those, and it is a hundred thousand light years across. The diameter is a hundred thousand light years. That is so large beyond our comprehension. Of course, that's just one galaxy. And we look out, and yet, what is keeping all of that in existence? God, the scripture tells us that not only did God create, but it's moment by moment it is upheld by his word. Psalm 104, well, and actually before I even do that, it's estimated there's between 200 billion and 2 trillion galaxies. So what I just said about the Milky Way, multiply that by 200 billion. And God is, in fact, the psalm tells us it's God's, it's the work of his hands. It's his finger play. It's what he formed together like my mama made that mug. That's what God does, except for when he does it, it's not a mug, it's the cosmos. It's the entire universe that is here for us. Psalm 104 gives us a hymn to creation to, on how it reveals the wisdom and the glory of God. And I'm gonna come back to, to one of the areas in a minute. But think about how beautiful creation is around us. Right now we're at the end of fall, which does mean I was fussing a little bit yesterday because on, on uh, a couple days ago, I had gotten up every leaf, leaf in, in our yard. And then yesterday I was like, well, that was effort wasted because <laughs> the tree is still just dropping them all down, right? So even though I was getting ready to preach on gratitude, I was being a little less than grateful. But consider what it's like. I love fall now. What we are at the tail end of right now is this explosion of glory that comes on in fall. Did it have to be that way? 
I mean, God could have made it and just said, look, leaf one day, bear tree the next. But it's not. It's incredibly gorgeous. Cool, crisp mornings. I, uh, I got up and ran earlier this week, and my favorite kind of running weather, when it's like 50 degrees and it was just so gorgeous out for a run, you, you feel the life coming in. But it's not just fall. Winter's going to be coming. And we all know, even though it can have its, it's probably, but when you look outside and the snow's coming down and those big leaves and everything is covered in snow. I mean, if you don't look and say that's beautiful, you got a cold soul. I mean, seriously, it's just gorgeous. And then it rolls into spring and there's this explosion of life and smell and color. And again, did it have to be that way? It did not. I remember one day years ago, I was reading the, the novel 1984, and I was getting out near, uh, near the office when we had our office up on the little hill up there when there used to be a house, and there was this tree, and it was all in bloom. And when I stepped out of the car, the aroma from the tree just hit me standing out of the thing. And in 1984, if you've ever read it, you know, the, the main villain is Big Brother. And in Big Brother's world, everything is gray and tasteless and there's no odor, there, there's nothing pleasurable at all because pleasure is not needed according to Big Brother. And I felt it was almost as if the Lord told me, do you understand I am not Big Brother? I did not have to make that tree blossom into life so that you can just smell it when you step out of the car. And then as you move into summer and there's all of the green and everything that goes around us, but yet we go by and most of the time, let's be honest, what are we doing? Right, we're, we're plucking blackberries, right? I mean, it's a flame with the glory of God. And look, we have to pluck blackberries to live. But what I'm trying to encourage us today is slow down, take a moment, take the shoes off and notice. All of this stuff is not, you know, you have to go to some far off place to find it. This is all right here, all around us every day. How about the gift of food and drink? Psalm 104, that psalm I mentioned on creation, talks specifically about this gift in creation. In verses 14 and 15, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. Now, number one, be grateful, because if you're a cattle, what is it that they've got to eat? Okay, let's just admit, who would like to live on grass, right? Reason number one to give thanks to God. But notice he says, look, he does that, but then we can cultivate plants. Again, the miracle of just poking a seed in the soil, and it pops up, and it produces such abundance. But notice the, the theme of superabundance here, because it's not just food. He says, look, he brings forth food from the earth, but that includes wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil that makes his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. If you've ever sat down with a good friend and had a glass of wine or, or over a meal and done that, Again, did God have to make food so enjoyable? He did not. I mean, what is necessary for you and I, and again, going back to 1984, they made food basically bland because they said all you need is nutrition. I suggest to you that's not true. You need more than just nutrition. We were created for more than just nutrition. Food is an amazing gift of God, but we take it for granted so often. We blow right by it. The smells, the taste, the texture, and you have multiple opportunities every day. But you know what we've done that we've added to this, of course, America's contribution is fast food, right? Which is, uh, I listened to a guy years ago, Leon Cass, he'd written a book called Bread and the Hungry Soul, and it was a meditation on the fact that we eat. And he said, look, I understand why people do it. He said, but it grieves me when I'm in Chicago and I see people walking down the road consuming food as fuel because they're missing what God has actually given to us in food. So what I want to encourage you to do is 
slow down. To cultivate a grateful heart, don't just inhale food. Take time to prepare, to eat, to enjoy. Can anybody think of a time we might get to do that this week? Okay? It's a great opportunity. I love Thanksgiving. What, what an appropriate holiday. What a great holiday. As you do it this week, enjoy every last bite. What a gift of God. Um, and then one other area, just kind of riffing on this, is the gift of family, friends, and community. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the author writes this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls uh, and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The writer to Ecclesiastes here is saying, look, one of the things I'm noticing is we are made for community. Life is better in community. We are stronger. We are protected. There, there is warmth. There is joy. Everything is better. And notice here, this is not just family. It does certainly include family, but it's friends, family, even in this picture, fellow warriors, that there are two warriors who've got each other's back. There's something about community. We, during COVID, that, that horrible time when we had very little opportunity for community, uh, Linda and I had um, really upped our game in a little fire pit in the backyard. And we were inviting friends over, you know, and sitting around the fire pit. A, a number of you have been there at one time or another and done this. But I had seen a quote that Claire graciously got my daughter to make us a sign that hangs by our fire pit now. And the quote is this, it's by C.S. Lewis. Is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? I tell you, that's a simple pleasure, but what a great pleasure that we can all have at virtually any time. But much of the time, we're so busy, we're plucking blackberries, we're not paying attention of the gift of friendship. Now, I would encourage you in doing that. What that means for us, if we're going to form a grateful soul, make time, make space for relationships. I, I watched last night, I was reading a, a newspaper and they had a link to an article where a guy had gone through and was interviewing people and asking what they thought would make them happy. And the number one thing people were saying was money. But research shows, oddly enough, this will be a shocker, guess what does not make you the happiest? Money. What actually led to the happiest life was both health, and they said, you know, so exercise and eating right and doing all that, and number two was, was life-giving relationships. How important that was. And what was funny was when most people reflected back, the things that were important were relationships. So as we're rushing along in life, take time, Make space, slow down for relationships. Now that's all just a few things. Now let me say there's, there's two other parts to making the soul. Number one was slowing down. Number two is when we notice these things. I've just given a bunch of things. Later on today, take time and just think about your breathing and all that's going on. And then use that breath to do the second point, which is specifically giving verbal thanks to God for his blessings. Notice Paul again says, give thanks. So in a sense, before we even have a grateful soul, we're not just feeling grateful, we're actually giving thanks. He's envisioning us taking time to specifically speak words of thanksgiving to God. I encourage you before every meal, start actually in Jewish tradition, you did it at the beginning and the end of the meal. You, you gave thanks to God before you ate, and then you gave thanks to God for what you had just eaten. Don't just inhale your food. Take time to give thanks to God for doing it. Um, and do that, let that lead into throughout each day. Maybe set an alarm that tells you give thanks to God. Just 
a couple of times during the day. Set something out and do that. Friends, what's going without saying should be said. Take time to verbalize your gratitude to God and do it in prayer and song. So we're noticing, we're giving verbal thanks to God. And then the third thing that Paul tells us here is we trust and thank God even in tough times. Because again, this is a hard phrase, give thanks in all circumstances. It's hard, let's be honest. Sometimes it is very hard to be giving thanks to God. It's in all circumstances, or technically the Greek says in everything, uh, which some of the translations say. Again, it doesn't mean for all circumstances, but even in all circumstances. Because as we're forming our soul for gratitude, a grateful soul learns to trust God, even when things are going poorly, even when I don't understand what is happening or why. A grateful soul learns and knows that God is sovereignly working in all things for his glory and for my good. Now, this is kind of towards the end when, when we've done more in forming our soul because it's hard when we're in something we don't understand, isn't it? I mean, don't get religious on me. Every one of us go through events, Sometimes it's weeks and months. Sometimes it's a year. I can remember specific years that were so hard the entire year where I was like, I can't wait till New Year's Eve to ring this one out. This was a bad one. Okay, we've all had that. But when we're forming our soul for gratitude, we're trusting and saying, look, I'm gonna give you thanks even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to meditate and I'm going to give thanks because always, you know what? While I'm meditating, I'm breathing. 25 trillion red blood cells are doing their job and enabling me to even thank and recognize what in the world's going on around me. Creation is spinning. I've got food. God is watching over me whether I've been paying attention or not. And he who has cared for me till now I can trust for my future. So all of this is part of forming a grateful soul. So this leads us to applying the word, which we'll really just have one part, and then we're going to practice gratitude as we come to the table. And so the only question is, am I forming a grateful soul? Again, this is more about more than just randomly giving thanks. I could be saying, take time on Thursday to give thanks, which we should. But I'm asking us to take time to be developing a soul that notices God and his work and has a normal disposition of gratitude, to work that. And it's hard in our culture because much of our economy, much of our marketing is based on building what into us? Dissatisfaction. I need something more. I mean, let's face it, what we've done now with Thanksgiving is when, when, when does the, the massive shopping day happen? Black Friday the next day, except for when does Black Friday start now? On Thursday, because we can't even take a day. So just realize, we're in a culture that's trying to form your soul for ingratitude. We've got to form our soul for gratitude. Now, this is important because there's another saying, and I tried to look it up, and they don't know exactly who's the first person who said it, but, but listen to this. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. If I have a soul that is formed in ingratitude, what am I going to see around me? Things to not be grateful for. If I'm in the exact same circumstances and I have a soul formed for gratitude, what am I going to see around me? Things to give gratitude for. If if I have a soul and, that has been formed and eyes that have been opened to see that every bush is a fire with God, what am I going to see? All the ways and all the things I can give worship to God for, all the places I can take my shoes off and bow down for. And if I don't have that, what do I see? Blackberries to pluck. Okay? And the difference 
is not a different bush. It's a different person viewing it. So it's really important with us. Many of us do not see God's hand all around us, not because it's not there, but because the way our soul is shaped and formed. And those who form their soul for gratitude are going to see God and his work all around them, while those who have not are going to miss it. Those who've had their soul formed for gratitude will see bushes of fire with God, will take their shoes off regularly, will give thanks, and will worship. Everybody else is going to go just on their way and say, I didn't see any evidence of God. And the difference was not what was around, but how my soul has been formed. So this is why it's important. Let's take this week, as it's Thanksgiving week, it's a great way to start the practice, okay? Let's take this week and begin to consciously and consistently slow down, notice all the things for which we should give thanks. Now, I'm going to throw up just a screen here with some practices, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but a couple of ways. See what resonates with you and take one of them down. Take a couple of moments to thank God for something before you even get out of bed in the morning. Maybe, you know, you, you wake up and you just you're, you're, you're wide awake enough. Some of us have more of a struggle, some of us don't. But just say, before my feet even hit the ground, I'm going to sit here and give God thanks for a couple of things. Maybe sit there. I actually wake up in the morning. One of the first things I do is just do a breathing session for a minute. Do that. Just take a minute and thank God you are breathing. You are alive. A second practice, set an alarm for one or two times in the day to briefly pause and give thanks to God for something. I set an alarm a couple times a day just to remind me, pray and meditate. Okay, as I'm praying for you all, that's because an alarm's gone off to remind me. I do it every day but it's amazing how busy I can get and I'm plucking blackberries and having an alarm go off and say, did you notice that the bush is on fire? Is helpful. A third thing, begin every prayer with thanksgiving for each person or item you're praying for. Maybe you're praying for a child who is straying, a neighbor that is irritating you, a boss you would like to throw off the edge of a cliff. I know none of you have those kind of feelings, but I've had those kind of feelings right? When you start praying for them, pray and give thanks. Focus and say, you know what? In every person's life, there's something I can be grateful for. Or in this situation I'm praying for, pray and give thanks. Maybe I'm praying because I'm sick, but you know what? There's all kinds of ways my body is working right, and I can stop and give thanks for it. So begin every prayer with thanksgiving. Um, Every meal, thank God for your food. Not just Thursday, do take the time to do that, but thank God every day. Um, tell God things for which you will be grateful as you fall asleep. Maybe you're better when you're going to bed. Look back on the day. All of these help you do it. And then the last thing is for this Thanksgiving, and I'm going to try, my wife's going to remind me on Thursday we'll do this with our daughter and our grandkids. Have each person share two things they're thankful for before the meal. And I say two because it becomes easy to say my family, which is great, but then give me something else. Specifically listed out. It's, it's not, you know, our confession of sin should be specific. Our confession of gratitude should be specific. What we are grateful for. So all of those are ways. So think about those, fasten on one or two of them. You don't have to do them all. But if we're going to form a grateful soul, it's not just, you, you know, for when my mama learned to do pottery, that was a lot of practice. That was a lot of time after time after time learning to be able to form and shape that. You and I have to start the practice. So here's a bunch of ways so that this time next year you can come back and say, you know what? My, my soul's been shaped, and it's a lot different. Now, we're going to do a practice right now, which is we're going to come to this table and there are many names for this table. One of them, that's a, a more traditional one, is actually the Eucharist. And you may have heard that from certain churches, the Eucharist. And that comes from the Greek word, Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. And so this is actually a Thanksgiving meal. 
And as I, I began by, you know, mentioning that in the Old Testament, it told them to remember constantly. See, we give thanks, not just generically, because we are remembering the death of Christ. You may have noticed one thing I did not say in that list that is actually the most important thing we have to give thanks for. If you're here and your body is breaking down, if you're here and life is falling apart, but if you're here and you are part of the people of God, if you are here and you know that your every sin is forgiven, if you are here and you know that even when your body lies cold in the grave, that one day Christ will stand up and he will shout and you will stand up and you will see and you will know and you will experience and you will eat with him forever and ever and ever. And every day will be better than the day before. Brothers and sisters, if you know that, you have reason to be grateful. You could have nothing else at all. You could be breathing your last breath and that would be praise to last for all eternity. And so we do this every week and it's a reminder to us. So I want to encourage you, even as we're doing this every week, let this form a grateful soul for all the things that we're doing. You don't have to be a member of our congregation. Everyone here who believes in Jesus Christ, who knows that it is his broken body and his shed blood that gives us access to God. It is nothing I have done or could do. All we do, I mean, next to what you and I do for our works before God, my pottery looked pretty good. Okay? It's a mess. But God has provided for us in Christ. If you believe that, then you are welcome to join with us. For brothers and sisters, what I received from the Lord I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to be passing out the elements. Grab the two cups as they, as they come by. And as uh, you get them, take this next couple of moments to give thanks to God. Pick something specific and give thanks to him. Brothers and sisters, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us come to the table. Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Father, we give you thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ who took flesh to work salvation for us. And so we take the bread of the Eucharist of thanksgiving now, giving thanks that Christ died in the flesh, that he was raised from the dead in the flesh, and that he will return again in the flesh so that we might be with him forever. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your blood, which has sealed the new covenant, paid for all of our sins, and made us members of your covenant people forever. Thanks be to God for the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together. We will conclude in prayer and then a blessing out of Psalm 134. Hallelujah. 
Lord, in this world, we see and experience many troubles. Yet we are a grateful people to you, O Holy Trinity. Father, you chose us before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, in the fullness of time, you came, took our flesh, and worked salvation for us. Holy Spirit, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, you raised us up with Christ, applying all the benefits of salvation to us. Lord, you have made us your people and given us every covenant blessing and promise. Oh, great and gracious God, if you have done all of this, how could we doubt your ongoing care for us as your children? So Lord, now we pause to give you verbal thanks for all that you have done. And Lord, we want to express our trust for your loving care even in the things we do not understand. Lord, we ask, lead us, guide us, keep us this week. Lord, give us eyes to see and hearts to remember all the ways you care for us each and every day. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And God's people say, amen. I'm going to read a blessing out of Psalm 134, and I encourage you to receive all the blessings of your God. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth, bless you. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Give thanks to God and go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.